The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. that time we're back sour hour on the brewing network i'm your host jay reading all this very carefully because it's first first off off the top disclaimer this is the what day is it it's friday right the second friday of san francisco beer week mm-hmm. so you know we're we're all hurting here in the studio a little bit you I mean, become like a kid on summer break but you don't even know what day it is yeah so we're, we're gonna get through this we're gonna get through together We've got a, a big group uh, in studio today and uh, one phone one Skype coming in so uh, we'll get to that Scott's here hey, hey Scott. what's up dude also bringing in the the big guns tasty Mike McDowell in the building how's I'm it here kind of early in the day to be here I know this is yeah we were talking before this is your crack of dawn pretty different yeah I've never i've never sat at this microphone without a couple beers in me either yeah it's there's a uh, tricky yeah we'll, we'll get to that though i probably won't mumble as much there's no worries about that <laughs> yeah uh so thanks for being here my pleasure and helping out we're gonna need all the help we can get even though we have uh, two guests on the show today we have avery swanson the head brewer of jester king brewery in austin texas in the studio hello hello how's it going fantastic we got all the the hungover liquids in front of us, so yeah, coffee, through. water, please. We've also got Jeffrey Stuffings on Skype, the founder of Just King. Jeff, are you there? I'm here. Great to be on. Oh, thanks for joining us. Uh, I know you're busy with uh, travel, one day turnarounds, and kids and stuff like that. So we appreciate your time. All right on. And for those who maybe are in some sort of fever dream state and getting massive deja vu, this is the same setup that we just had on the session. Uh, we don't usually try to plan it out that way, but hey, you guys are here. You make awesome sour beer, so we want you on the show. And Tasty's here to ding, the same to ding me anytime <laughs> yeah. I uh, do well, any crossover because he's memorized. You know, he's really keyed in on uh, yeah, everything everyone's absolutely. saying. Absolutely, yeah, I pay hundred percent attention. So yeah, that's what you're here for. Yeah. Tasty, did you prepare a game for today's show? No, I should have. Our Twitter game, at least. Yeah. <laughs> These headphones I'm wearing are terrible. I know. Mine are, too. I'm getting, like, crazy buzz. Yeah. Is yeah. that on the audio or just I buzz? don't know. I, Do you I, guys get buzz? Oh, yeah. Oh. Really? That's a lot Buzzy. of buzz. Oh, boy. Should we pause yeah, and address that? Um, no. Well, let's see how this sounds here. So we have uh, two guests on the show today. We have Avery Swanson. Well, we're still hearing it in our headset, though. That doesn't mean that it's actually the fight. I I suspect that it's just in in here. I don't think it's going out over the air. Okay. I think we're good. Let's just, let's plow forward. Well, you can plow forward with us by (laughs) contacting us. (laughs) 888-401-BEER. Give us a call if we sound terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good call. If you're listening live on the live (laughs) stream. The lines will blow up. Finally, a reason to call. You guys sound like crap. Anyone watching on uh, thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV, comment in the chat box and Mm -hmm. let us know that we are. Yeah. Bevo will relay the message. Yeah. Oh, hey. Uh, sorry. Hey, Bevo. Oh, no. She didn't even yeah, didn't even bother for this one. <laughs> Bevo's two, miles away. Two, two shows in a week. Get it. Come on, guys. I'm not going to be here. Speaking of uh, interacting with us, we got some more of that stuff that I'm going to say right now. Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com. 
that's the email address to uh, talk to Scott. Jay at thebrewingnetwork.com also. That's me. Listen live another way, the Brewing Network app, search BN Mobile. And also you can subscribe to the podcast, which is what most people do. Um, I also appreciate you when you uh, leave feedback on the show. That helps other people find it. And it really helps our self-esteem, especially at the end of a long week. Yeah. Sometimes I'll just read the same review over and over <laughs> and over. Speaking of reading a review, uh, are we going to read a review right now, Scott? Review of the week. Yes, we are, Jay. I seriously don't remember doing that. Well, you did, obviously. Clearly. Uh, I don't know. Some I think work there. I said it before. I think Scott has enough of my vocal data to just recreate, and I can. you can just make me say anything. Insert Your farts here. taste great. There like that? That's, yeah. that's the magic right there. We make bad beer all the time. All right, Jay. <laughs> Look, your beer's you. good, man. Relax. I throw up the ball for you, you slam it down. <laughs> all right. The review of the week is from Fry MD, and it says, thank you. It's five-star review. It says, uh, for saving me from having to listen to the juvenile antics of the session. Their junior high potty humor and failed attempt to be like a Howard Stern show copy gets very old and tiring very fast. <laughs> I do believe you've struck gold here, as my sour game has defiantly improved since listening. Defiantly. Defiant. Yeah, keep up the Great work. What you get the best. Thank you. Who is it? Was the from, from Fry MD? Fry MD. Thanks. Thank Fry. you very much. Sorry, Tasty. That was a little awkward. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't have my Tasty drop board. I only People have my just J organically drop board. are just you know, saying things about the session. I know. Sorry. Have you heard about this? What's that? In our in our reviews. Yeah. They say things about the session. Yeah, like, they talk like, about you guys like like all the it. time. Yeah, really? yeah. It just kind of started to snowball out of nowhere. Yeah, well, it's because you guys are the anti-session. Of course, they're going to have you use this forum to do I that. guess so, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's like calling yeah. Fox News. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that one on the table. <laughs> oh, News and Friends. Who are those friends? He's, he's always talking. But never. It's good. France or Friends? Friends. Fox and Friends. Who yeah. Knows? Yeah, whatever. He's talking about a particular show, I think. I've never seen it. Yeah, whatever. No one to plug that. Your farts taste great. <laughs> I'm just going to let you keep going on that one. <laughs> How do you taste? Never mind. Okay. It sounds more like the session. I know. It's infectious. Yeah. Tasty's just spilling over onto our show. <laughs> our last show was uh, just a few days ago for us, but for the podcast universe was uh, last month. It was uh, Brewery Taru's uh, Jeremy Grinky. Great guy. We, we may go out and see him tonight. Is he going to be at the Red Barrel tonight? He's going to be everywhere, I think. Oh, yeah. Where will just, he be? I mean, I guess there's no one can fly to Southern California right now. Is, oh, wait, but wait, hold on. This is going to be a March show, though. So yeah. So said we have to avoid the topical oh, yeah. topics. You're right. Yeah. Timeless. So timeless we'll, we'll strike that from the record. It's March. It's gorgeous in the yeah. Bay Area. Boy, today. Every, wow. these things are blooming. What a day. My allergies. Boy, they're going nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we got a lot of good stuff uh, with Jeremy. Burry Taru is a really... Unique sour beer program just by scale and skill and all that stuff. And, you know, that's that's where I came from. It wasn't Taru back then, but uh, the brewery sour program. So it's great to catch up and, and taste those beers and awesome. Oh, man. Awesome, awesome beers. Wow. And I think one thing that struck me was the acidity level. I mean, uh, when I was there, it was definitely higher and defiantly uh, higher defiantly higher <laughs> and uh yeah all the beers were like very drinkable you know they sell them all in 750 milliliter bottles and i don't know i just really love when you can take your you know you open a bottle that you've been saving you pour out your first glass take your first couple sips and you're like yep i'm drinking this whole bottle drink the whole thing. and you're just feeling good <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the it's really high it's kind of hard to do 
Yeah, it was one of our like more widely distributed uh, guests, so that was good to mm-hmm. get him on and talk about the beers. But yeah, go back listen to that show. What else do you have at the top? I don't know. I can't read your notes from here. I don't know. <laughs> this is that kind of show. Mm-hmm. Here's the sound. <laughs> My buzzing's gone away. Yeah, mine has too. Okay, Man, is that I, you I sure hope it's. I don't know. Loosening up the the gears as we go. Yeah, I've, I put a little WD forty on it, and I guess it was made, made it better. Excellent. I don't know. So speaking of uh, distro, just right off the top, uh, Jester King, you know, is kind of I, I see it scattered about everywhere, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, obviously, you guys are here, uh, Avery. You're in town for a long SF Beer Week, many events promoting all the great Jester King beers. Are you guys? consistently selfishly i'll ask about california consistently here or like where where is your beer across the country or maybe in the world it's pretty uh far flung actually we have quite a bit of distribution we just don't send out a whole lot of volume so let's see you know we're selling like 70 percent of total volume on site at the brewery we want people to come there and try the beer but we do a lot of special events a lot of festivals around the world so when we send out beer for those festivals we usually top off pallets for general distribution so you can find our stuff kind of after the event, after the festival. So if you enjoyed something, a sample, you can go out and buy a bottle somewhere. At this point, like we really don't even have consistent distribution to, to Texas. I mean, we're sending even beer to our home market like just once a month at pretty much. And um, yeah, so periodically, like we'll send some beer out to California for like SF Beer Week or we'll send beer to Denver uh, around the time of GABF, or we're doing a, cl- a collaboration with uh, a certain brewery in uh, the Northeast. We'll like send a little beer there. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of a weird, it's a weird, uh, kind of distribution setup, uh, but it's all kind of predicated upon like selling most of our beer at the tasting room. If you wanted to, could you sell 100% at the brewery? I don't think so. Actually. I mean, we, we have a good on-site following and people come out and like to either drink beer under, under the you know live oak trees in our, in our outside of our tasting room or, or come out and buy bottles to go. But we, you know, we do about 3000 barrels a year and, you know, a lot of the um, you know barrel-aged blends, especially the barrel-aged blends that are uh, re-fermented with fruit, uh, will sell through really quickly at the tasting room. But you know, our stainless steel fermentations, like our mixed culture, farmhouse sales, saisons, those usually um, won't sell out entirely at the brewery. We'll sell a good chunk of them, but like still need to like go through distro to uh, to sell the whole batch out. Alex and I were just down there, and it was. An amazing experience. What a great place. And I uh, can't imagine a more beautiful place to drink beautiful beer. Yeah. It's, it's kind of just a, a double whammy. It's a little overwhelming, actually. Uh, <laughs> it, it feels unreal that we were there, actually. Such a unique format. Yeah. Yeah. It was just so different. And it's, you know, it's in Austin, but it's outside. Other than the, some, uh, you know, every once an hour, a strange noise will come from the, the stunt place yeah the stunt ranch <laughs> just an explosion <laughs> the, the what? there's right next well Avery, you maybe you could explain better. honestly i've never been over there but there's a stunt ranch <laughs> and we talked about this on the session too yeah. uh there's a stunt ranch <laughs> next door to us yeah and yeah they do explosions and they've got like paintball and gun range there's all kinds of your, yeah. bo- your bones breaking yeah no we hear explosions regularly a lot of explosions okay so other than that <laughs> it's very Texas. there's also a gun range over there you go shoot wow. some handguns but despite that, it's uh, you, and you, if you want the action, you can go over there. But it's it's quite serene, and there's you know a lot of um, there's a lot of space, and there's you know pets and kids, but there's cornhole and people mm-hmm. who are 
hardcore getting it in just slamming le petit prince <laughs> all day and, and then just just a be- beautiful area overall so i definitely recommend if, if you guys haven't been to gesture king and you like their beer you should get out there it's a wonderful place yeah worth a trip thanks, from wherever thanks, you are we're, and we're, we're skipping ahead a lot of this so I, I if i didn't say it already you know there's a lot of the background on the session so you know i won't get into that i'll assume you guys knew know who uh, avery and jeff are and a little bit about the brewery but I think that's going to allow us to get more into the nitty gritty, kind of expand on some of that stuff in our time here. So one thing I was just curious about, and uh, Jeff, I heard you talk about this before, but it's more of the uh, the direction, you know, you wanted to go when it came to next steps for Jester King. And it was kind of like, you know, did you want to expand the brewery or do something like that or double down on the, the farmhouse aspect? Can, can you give a little overview on kind of your decision making on that? Yeah, I would say definitely the the, the latter, um, and that is trying to just kind of breathe more authenticity into farmhouse ales and you know what is on authenticity in these styles of beer. I mean, I would say beers that you have a connection to a time and a place and a people that are unique to our surroundings that that really take in our environment, take in the time of year, the microbial balance in the air to make something that can only exist in in one place at one time. And um, part of that for us was buying up land around the brewery. So we're 18 miles outside of Austin and there's some hill, hill country land around us. So buying up some land and starting some small scale uh, agriculture, which we're less than a year into uh, so far. We've got one planting season under our belt and about to, are about to do the next one. So it's going to be a process, but I mean, we've started uh, an orchard, a, a compost system. You know, we're making plans to start harvesting rainwater, uh, we're going to start a uh, kind of a brewer's garden this this, this spring, which will uh, hopefully uh, produce a lot of uh, herbs and vegetables and spices to, to feed into our beer, and and then just ultimately try to create this little like ecosystem of um, you know growing that feeds into the beer making and the outputs from, from the beer making go keep the, the, the farm going and then just try to make it as as sustainable as as possible versus uh, the alternative which you kind of hinted on which is just really trying to to scale up production which which a is is hard to do with with mixed culture and the amount of time that goes into barrel aging as i don't tell you that and um so yeah i mean we're content to do you know three thousand barrels a year and we have no expansion plans in the mix we're not looking to make any more beer but we are starting really to develop a a, a working farm yeah and it may not be just about you know more beer by quantity but more beer by brands and ideas and techniques and i think you guys you know can definitely continue to innovate on on the brew house side one thing i just want to mention that maybe we can do a quick question and a break we just had an event with uh jester king at the rare barrel two nights ago something like that <laughs> and it was a, a great kind of paired tasting with our beer and theirs and uh jeffrey and avery were there did a little q a talked about the beers and uh it was it was pretty incredible. We tasted the Spawn uh, Metho Goose, and I have to say, at the by the end of it, the crowd, the ticketed uh, crowd that was there, I gave uh, an ovation that I had not quite seen yet at the brewery. It was a very loud kind of clapping for Jester King, thanking you guys for being there. I think it's not just how special the beers are, but that was a cool talk. And, uh, you know, I think a big part of it was, like, the beers are a slice of, of time and place, and you guys really carried that across, and... I think gave us a little, for those who haven't been there, it was a little slice of Jester King. But uh, for those who have been there, it just reaffirms kind of what's special about you guys. 
We had a great time. That was an amazing event. Well, I'm glad you guys could come by. Glad you guys are here for this. Uh, Let's get to, I'm sure we have some questions that we could get to before break. Yeah, we definitely do. These Um, are sponsored by Scott. Yeah. SarahBeerBlog.com. Oh. Dr. Lambic, our friend. And his his latest and greatest is about Jester King. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, go check it out. Maybe you could skip that instead of uh, listening to the session. <laughs> instead, listen to other BN shows. Brew Strong, Dr. Homebrew, Brewing with Style. All right. All right. Uh, <laughs> Strike that from the record. So I'm actually reading from Kevin Osborne's email, who sent in a bunch of questions when Adrian and who was uh, from Dester King was on Garrett. the show. And Garrett, right, uh, which was already. I should say, yeah, we have had Dester King on the show before, but obviously now this is a, it's a new perspective and uh we're excited to get Jeff and Avery on. Absolutely. Sure. Well, and um, I believe Adrian went back to wine. And is, is Garrett still around? Well, they're still living in the Hill Country, but Garrett's not working with us neither, anymore. Neither one, right? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Well, so these uh, these are um, mixed culture questions, and uh, we probably addressed some of them maybe on on the last show. But geez, you know, Jay, that's coming up on two years ago already. That show, oh God, crazy, right? Incredible. Um, so old. <laughs> so, all right. So let's we can probably go through a bunch of these this show. So let's just start with this one. How often do you feed your culture? We don't really um, keep a brink anymore. We've been um, we kind of go through phases where we'll keep. A couple of brinks of the mixed culture where we'll feed them different things. And actually, when I get back, we're going to start doing a little bit of that again. Um, But for the most part, when we were keeping the brink, we would feed it every time we would pull off of it. So we would pull off a small amount to to maybe prop up a starter for a 30-barrel batch or something like that. And then um, just top it off with wort from the brew day. So pretty simple, pretty low-maintenance. Okay, cool. And there's a, a bunch of other mixed culture questions, but we can get to those a little later in the show, I think. Yeah, definitely. Love the mixed culture stuff. I think it, it's always fascinating. I mean, it's another one of those uh, questions we get all the time. How do you maintain mm-hmm. the mixed culture over time? Mm-hmm. And everyone's got a different approach, but it's just great to hear everyone's different approach on it because you can do it. So There's so mm-hmm. many variables there. Yeah, that, what about, is, do you ever like plate the culture to see where it's at or see what, what's taking over the culture, that kind of thing? Some people do. I see. Are you guys doing that? Not anymore. Um, about four years ago when I started at the brewery, we were plating some things and kind of doing a bit more experimentation with what was in the culture. We don't do a whole lot of that at the brewery ourselves anymore, but um, we've had a couple people reach out to us, some grad students and some postdoc folks over at UT mm-hmm. and a few other universities around the country that have reached out about um, samples of the beer and they've been doing some plating and such. So I've actually got a woman that came out a couple of days ago and took some samples and mm-hmm. she said that it was just teeming with microorganisms. <laughs> I, I could have told her that. I was like, yeah, huh? <laughs> yeah, but I'm excited to see what she finds out looking well, at that. What information can you get and how could you use it? Maybe it's just an exercise that there's really nothing you can do. Like, oh, it's doing this instead of that. If you can't take any action, what do you need to know? That's a good question. It can influence direction, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a lot of research is you don't know until you get the results and then you start to think about it and mm-hmm. light bulb turns on. And it's like, oh, you know what? We could be doing this a little differently because these populations are at this level during this part of the process. I mean, what about like like taking like like, uh, samples of it throughout like the years, sure, and then like keeping those so you can go back to it. Say it it changes over time, you can go back in time and like reset it, use that to build up the. the Yeah, I think I think you're touching on what I've mentioned on the show a few times, which is I think the next decade of. Beer. The thing I'm most excited about, I mean, being a non-hoppy brewer, the, the new hop varietals are obviously mm-hmm. great and exciting. But the thing I'm most excited about are microbiologists increasing their role in mm-hmm. the sour and wild 
game. I think half your staff is microbiologists, aren't they? Yeah, there's a lot of science. You had them here on, for, on, your, on the show that time. I, it's a good, they, good they thing, right? Talk you, talk, you can, those hire, guys can hire people smarter than you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Good move. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, isolating different strains, different mixed cultures at different times. You know, here's Brett Brooks, you know, straight from the lab. But then here's Brett Brooks that we've isolated from bottle conditioning that does well on that. Yeah. And you, you know, keep the mutations going. And now we have our Brett Brooks bottle conditioning yeast. And it's different from our Brett Brooks primary fermenter. And then it's different. And then this one can go into oak barrels because it's been, uh, you know, raised up in low pH environments. So we know it can, it can compete there. Yeah. And then at that point, are there any of those Brett Brooks anymore? No, that's, it's all <laughs> kind of something new. So, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of experimentation and fun on that area the fun is making better beer so yeah Mm -hmm. you can you know you guys started by kind of capturing some wild things i think that was more in like a a wart environment is that right yeah some of the original experiments were using just on you know wort sterile wort um put into container up on the roof to allow airborne very tiny cool ship um and then uh, i think at one point we were taking plants just like agarita blossoms and prickly pear flowers mostly, and throwing those into unfermented wort. And we had a bunch of different flask experiments kind of set up, just kind of see how things would ferment, what they tasted like. A lot of them didn't taste very good. Um, <laughs> some of them did, though, and when we had experiments that did go well, we would kind of prop that up into a bigger prop nice. and, and combine them and see what happened there and, and stuff. So Yeah, that's definitely something anyone can do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Throw it up in wort. Mm-hmm. Uh, people focus on the isolation and plating and all that stuff, and that's great. And looking at it under the scope mm-hmm. and then saving it on a slant or something like that, that's all another level. It's all doable, I think, from homebrewers if you want to put in the time and space and equipment and all that stuff. But you could start as, as simply as wort and mm-hmm. make a beautiful mixed culture out of it. Absolutely, Jay. I mean, like on a practical homebrewing level, I mean, I would I would say to someone like just getting into starting their own kind of mixed culture for their home brewery, I mean, buy buy your favorite strain of you know pure culture saison yeast and mix it with a yeast capture experiment that you did. Like literally, just get like an Erlenmeyer flask, put some unhopped wort in it, add some you know I don't know, pick, pick some 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 native plants growing around your your yard uh, or or your park down the street. You know, throw it into the flask. Uh, let it ferment. If it like passes sensory, if it smells good, tastes good, once it's fermented out, harvest the dregs and like pitch it simultaneously into uh, some some wort and see what see what happens. And, um, and it can be just just that that easy. And and, and that's basically how our mixed culture, as as Avery just mentioned, was was created. Just like basically using home brewing techniques. Yeah, and that spawned Jester King. So, yeah. Although that doesn't go, this culture doesn't go into spawn. But we'll get into that. I'll add a rim shot <laughs> yeah. in post. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, break time, and then let's get yeah. to some beer. I mean, yeah, please. It's almost noon. I think so. that'll help us feel better. <laughs> Summer. All right, we'll take a quick break, but we'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Are you a member of the American Homebrewers Association? Well, you should be. Members of the AHA can focus on brewing beer, and the AHA takes care of the rest. The American Homebrewers Association advocates on behalf of homebrewers like you to legalize the hobby in all 50 states and make sure that beer laws make sense. Plus, there are many great benefits that come with your AHA membership, like pub discounts that give you awesome deals at bars, restaurants, breweries, and more, Zymergy Magazine, and eZymergy. 
Energy for tons of articles, how-tos, easy-to-follow recipes, and news about the hobby you love, and access to the members-only content on homebrewersassociation.org. But the AHA can't do it without your support. Join today so the American Homebrewers Association can keep fighting for your homebrewing rights. Visit homebrewersassociation.org or join right now from the homepage of the Brewing Network website. Relax. Don't worry. It's the American Homebrewers Association. Hey, this is Vinny at Russian River Brewing Company. I'm getting funky on the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. All right. We're back. Got Jester King back in the BN Studios on the Sour Hour. And I think a couple of our sponsors before we dive in. We have a beer open. We got some more mixed culture questions to get into. But uh, I want to thank our uh, great Wisconsin home brew shop friends. Who I don't the, even the wine and hop oh, shop, wineandhop.com. They have great things. You want to start that culture, mixed culture? Get some Omega yeast, Giga yeast. They're going to ship within 24 hours, most items. But best of all, being listeners in the continental United States, sorry, Alaska, get a flat $8 <laughs> shipping rate on orders under 50 pounds. Just enter BN shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart. Discount's going to be taken off after checkout. The wine and hop shop, wineandhop.com. I also want to thank a great sponsor, Oregon Fruit. New products all the time. They're uh, aseptic purees. We use them at the Red Barrel. They're easy, convenient. Uh, there's no additives, artificial flavors, just simply great expression of the raw fruit. They love working with brewers, as you heard on the show uh, many times. Check them out, fruitforbrewing.com. Oregon Fruit. They bring fruit Lechem. to life. That's good. Same time. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's get into the beer first, and then maybe that can lead us into some more... Uh, Listener mixed culture questions? Yeah, definitely. So, uh, Avery, tell us what we have open here. Well, first of all, Bravo. Uh, this beer so is good. amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's sad, a good one. Sad we don't have more, but... Yeah, me too. Happy. We'll make more later. <laughs> good. Uh, so, this is a beer that we have not yet released. Um, this is one of our spontaneous fruit fermentations. This is the white grape spawn, mm. as we've been calling it at the brewery. Um, so, two different varietals of white Wine grapes, both grown in Texas, Blanc du Bois, which we've used a few times in um, another beer that we do, and then also Albarino, which I believe is a Spanish varietal. Um, but we got these both in uh, northeast Texas, actually. Um, the Albarino is delicious, um, a little bit sweeter, kind of, uh, just like perceivable sweetness in the Blanc du Bois. But we've been approaching the fruited spawns a little bit differently than we do a lot of the other primary fruit refermentations in that we are using two different types of fruit for each one of these so you know we've got the raspberry cherry and peach apricot and i think that adding two different types of fruit really gives it a little bit more depth and a little bit more interesting complex fruit character this beer is complex in and of itself so yeah. i figured that the fruit character in there should also kind of be a little bit more than the sum of its parts so pretty happy with how this one's turned out. It's amazing. I didn't realize this has not been released yet. Now I feel that I have some guilt in me that, you know, beer geeks everywhere. The, the saliva is starting to come out of the <laughs> mouth for sure. I can hear it drip on the floor. <laughs> Sorry, too, too vivid. <laughs> so, so we, we post about uh, just the grape refermentation as we're doing it, you know, long before the beer gets released. So it, it's, it's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, Jeff. I, I should say, <laughs> tortured for a long time. 
I should say your guys' blog is an amazing resource for for brewers, beer fans out there, even communicating with your customers. You know, when there's you know sometimes like an issue with bottle conditioning. I know that came up for you guys, Jeffrey, once, and I really liked and admired the way you guys handled that. How how's the blog been for you guys? Have you been finding it helpful? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, in terms of, I, I think, as a just generally speaking, as a, as a small business, uh, you know, a brewery that isn't trying to, you know, just just kind of conquer the world with, with with volume. I mean, I think authenticity and transparency are super super key. I mean, I think, you know, in, in many ways, you know, there's there's an article I read like called "One Thousand True Fans," where like if you're running a small business doing something that's unique and not doing a lot of it, like you have to get people a small number of them who really care about that. And, and I think for people to care about that, you have to be transparent and, and real. And then just like in a world filled with a lot of bullshit, you've got to just really keep it real uh, for people to give a shit about what you do. And I think, you know, the blog is, is a good vehicle for doing that. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think you have at least a thousand true fans in the Bay Area alone from, <laughs> from what I saw at the Rare Barrel the other day <laughs> and just in this room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you guys are doing great there. I want to get into the, the grapes a little bit more. So, you know, we have not done uh, a great beer at the brewery. When I was at the brewery, uh, you know, they had started to do that, but, you know, I was a little not involved with the processing of the grapes. So I'm always fascinated about like, the very beginning of that process from, you know, talking to the uh, vineyard, the vinter, I guess, mm-hmm. and selection, transport, processing. Can you get into some of those details? Yeah, sure. Um, so in Texas, you know, we have kind of a growing wine industry there. There are people growing a lot of really great fruit, but not a whole lot of fruit, mm-hmm. especially in the hill country. I There's should say a- you know what you're talking about with wine. I've seen it. Live and in person. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I love, Drinking too much I wine. love wine. <laughs> I love wine. I wish I knew more about it. Maybe one day when I have more time, I can, <laughs> when I make more time, I can study more about it. But yeah, so lots of people making wine in the hill country, but, um, you know, the good grapes, they kind of hold on to. So we're a little bit more opportunistic in the way that we're getting our fruit in Texas. I definitely, I prefer to buy local if we can. You know, a lot of the stuff that's being grown in Texas, we kind of get like the last, uh, well, we have this leftover. We're not going to be able to make something with this. So if you guys want this, you can have it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We do have good relationships with some of the winemakers in the Hill Country and a lot of them that are getting grapes from like up in the Panhandle or Texas High Plains where there's a lot of grape growing. Um, we kind of piggyback on on shipments that are coming down to the Hill Country from there, which is convenient because, you know, logistics Freight is outrageously expensive, and the fruit in and of itself is super expensive anyway. Mm-hmm. So if we can piggyback on that stuff, we definitely do. Is the timing like as important, do you think, for for using grapes and beer? When it comes to wine, I mean, and I think that could be a major yeah. thing that the winemaker can play with uh, and have their influence on the wine. But how much do you think it affects kind of the, the end beer that you guys are making with the grapes? I don't think it's affecting it anywhere near as much, obviously. Um, so I don't ask about like what the bricks are, what kind of sugar these grapes have for the most part. A lot of the people that we're buying them from will give me that information, but it's, you know, we're a little bit more, uh, what's the word for this? Yeah, we're just kind of free form in the way that we're okay. using these grapes. Hey, cool. I can get this much and it's yummy. Yeah, I'm exactly. Yeah. And, and so, you're making, not making a grape-dominated beer. You're making a beer that yeah. has a whole other thing ahead of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in small amounts, yeah, it doesn't I, matter that much. I agree. Um, and a lot of these wine referment, or these wine grape refermentations do kind of, I mean, they blur the lines between beer and wine. They're definitely oh. hybrid beverages, yeah. which I think is exciting. 
because I think that the fruit brings out a lot of character from the beer that you would otherwise maybe not been able to pick out. And then same with the beer. So maybe it's not masked as much as I think. Like, does the quality and the, and the uh, of the grape matter a lot in this in this particular kind of case? Or I don't think it matters as much. As much. Um, I'll say too, uh, we've gotten mechanically harvested grapes in at the brewery before. Red grapes; those grapes were totally different than the stuff that we purchased that were hand harvested. Mm. There's all kinds of weird stuff in uh, mechanically harvested grapes. I mean, the machine goes fingers and legs. Yeah, uh, <laughs> bird nests, and you know all kinds of weird stuff. So, I don't know. I like the hand harvested, smaller batch stuff, and we get it in pretty cold. You know, when it's being transported from the high plains and you're, you've got it in a refrigerated truck or Does whatever. Does it happen at the same time of year? Um, yeah, mostly. I don't know. This year, too, we had a, kind of like a late, lots of rain towards the end of harvest season. So mm-hmm. we were expecting, I don't know, like maybe six or 800 pounds of grapes that it came down to the day we were, they were going to be harvested. And the winemaker was like, everything's ruined. So cool. uh, and then at that point, you're like, OK, well, I already have I already have this beer in process. I'm planning on these grapes. And then what do you do at that point? Yeah. Do you source from somewhere else? Do you go, you know, we ended up having to go to Colorado, find these grapes in Colorado and have those shipped to us. So it was kind of like a last minute, oh, shit, what do we do kind of how, moment. How were the grapes ruined? I guess with a lot of rain, they end up getting just like mildewy and moldy. Oh, okay. And mm-hmm. uh, and too, I think with the extra rain, it kind of dilutes the, the sugar content. Mm-hmm. Um, so for winemakers, they're kind of like, well, I can't use this kind of thing. But for us, it's less important. You know, we are doing very similar refermentation, like the process is the same as if we were using cherries or blueberries, you know, which we do. And how about more about that process? What do you do to the grapes? Uh, once so you- when they land at, at the brewery, um, you know, we don't really rinse off much of our fruit most of the time. So right. we get the grapes in. We have a, a very small little crusher distemmer. Um, okay. Yeah. So we'll just throw those a little stainless steel thing over a macro bin right. um, and throw the grapes in and let that let that thing do its its job um so just basically crushing the grapes there's a lot of juice and then um for spawn these fruit refermentations i didn't want to put typically we do a lot of these fruit beers in our fooders logistically they're really awesome vessels to fruit Mm -hmm, for fruit because you can remove fruit very easily from them is that like a an upright one with a bottom door Mm -hmm. kind of you rake it out almost like uh yeah, with like a squeegee or a shovel or what something like thinking? that. What am I thinking? What do you do? Grain out. Yeah. It's been so long, out. Tasty. Thank you. Guys <laughs> <laughs> are in a vacuum over here. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. Um, yeah, grain out's the best part. Um, anyway. That's why I used to be in shape. Yeah. <laughs> so all the, all the yeast and everything's in this slurry you made. Yeah. So, so I didn't want to put the spawn into the fooders yeah. because I didn't want there to be mixed culture kind of competing sure. for the fermentation profile. So we ended up doing these beers, raspberry, cherry, peach, apricot, these grapes. Um, and then another one that we did with blueberries in stainless steel so that we, like I said, don't have competing cultures uh, for the fermentation profile. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. And That's then uh, one thing um, is worth pointing out as well, if it's in fooder, uh, we'll do we'll do punch downs. If it's in stainless steel, we'll do pump overs uh, just to kind of get good flavor and color color extraction mm-hmm. from the fruit. Uh, and then also from kind of to kind of prevent the, the the cap, like the fermentation, kind of this cap that forms at the top from kind of drying out and being kind of a harboring place for Acetobacter. And then um, you know also if it's in stainless, we'll back it with CO two pretty regularly. Uh, fruit refermentation, um, you know, again just trying to kind of stave off any uh, acetic acid. Uh, development with the grapes in particular, just um, yeah. I mean, the, the, the crusher, the stemmer, and just uh, we actually uh, took some of the, the pomace 
recently from uh, the Crusher to Stemmer and like racked a younger beer onto that. Um, that beer hasn't been released yet, but it's kind of a, uh, an interesting experiment to just take the waste product from the grape uh, processing and use it to, to make another beer. Yeah, that's awesome. That's something I love about what you guys do is kind of using the the spent mm-hmm. fruit to just kind of not only get some more essence out of the fruit, but uh, it's like we were talking about during our uh, event at the Rare Barrel, you know, you get the culture carryover too. So mm-hmm. it can add some complexity and it's kind of a fun, different thing. Jeffrey, I'm I'm curious just about your broader approach to how agriculture influences the direction of Jester King. I mean, we just talked about you know, trying to get grapes from a, a region that's really up and coming, and that's uh, that's awesome and exciting. But what, what what are your ambitions beyond that when it comes to, you know, you talked about the estate uh, stuff, but I know you've also talked about uh, different grains or maltsters and stuff like that. What, what do you see, you know, in the near future for Texas agriculture influencing the direction of Chester King? That's a good question. I mean, especially on the, the, the grain side, that's one of the things I've just been kind of most uh, excited about really when it comes to beer making is um, just kind of like the interesting like like textures and flavors and aromas of the of the grain that we're now getting within our from our region where, you know, in the past, you know, when we started out, we're you know, getting, you know, albeit very high quality malts, but, you know, we're getting, you know, great malts from, you know, Germany and, and, and the UK and the upper Midwest and and uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Of course, they're very high quality products. Um, but as far as, again, that kind of connection to a region, a place, a, a time, you know, wanting ultimately to make something that, that, that is, uh, I would deem, you know, relevant to have something to say that, that that's a product of, of your environment. I think that to me really gets me excited in terms of beer making. And, and so like, you know, going to uh, our local maltster, Blacklands Malt, and going to the uh, local mill that just opened right down the street from us, uh, Barton Springs Mill, and like getting to like taste some of these grains that are being produced from from Texas now is just really exciting. We just um, we haven't released it yet, but we uh, just made, uh, as far as I'm aware, the first ever you know modern history, uh, 100% Texas grown and, and malted beer, um, where the malt was grown out in, in West Texas and it had a really, really high protein content. And our maltster, uh, Brandon aid at Blackland said like, look, you know, I, I can't use this malt with a really high Pilsner or sorry, a protein content and, you know, make a Pilsner malt out of it. I've got to do a more, uh, highly killed malt. So you're never going to get conversion. And so he made kind of like this 20 love malt out of it. And then we use that to make this this beer, which has a malt character unlike any beer I've ever tasted before. Hmm. It was cool because it was almost like in reverse. Like we as brewers didn't set out and say we're going to make this particular beer. It was the land and the maltster that then influenced us in reverse, uh, dictating the beer that we made, which is you know typically not not the norm when you approach you know designing a beer. And and so I thought that was really cool. And then seeing the results on top of it, which I just thought you know, spoke to the philosophy and, and achieved that, that, that uniqueness that I mentioned, uh, was just, it's, it's really special. I mean, I, I know it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a beer that, you know, it's, it's not sour. It's not re-fermented with fruit. People aren't going to go ape shit about it. I get that. <laughs> but like, just, just, just for us, we're like, it's like one of our proudest moments. Yeah. You're, you're definitely, uh, when you, uh, modify your process or your technique to, to match the, uh, what's available from, from the farm, you're really, you're really going, you know, true farm to table rather than table to farm, you know? Or you like so? Here's what I want. Make exactly what I need to make what I what I'm dreaming up here. You're adapting to the agriculture. It's great. 
it's a wonderful cool. approach. Anytime you can kind of break the, there's a traditional designing beer, executing beer process that, that had served us well for a very long time, but you know, approaching from the end of the process backwards is also, you know, a fine, it's, it's definitely more advanced way to design beer recipes and design flavor, but it's a really exciting venture to go down. And I think that's, that's awesome that you just, you know, started at this special malt and it's like, what can we do with this? How can we showcase this? Cause this is something amazing and unique. One other thing that I wanted to get into for either of you is that makes Jester King, I think, unique in a sense of time and place is, is the water. And I get, you know, a character out of your beer that I feel like is distinct. It's something that I like, something that I associate with your beer. Can you tell me what that is? I don't, because I don't understand water. Yeah, I'm not a water chemist either, but we're pulling up from a well on the property. It's a pretty deep well um, that connects to the Trinity Aquifer and the water is different all the time. Uh, I would say overall it is very hard. Limestone out there in the Texas Hill Country, so we're pulling up through, you know, limestone, and the water is very, very hard, very highly alkaline. Um, we don't alter the chemistry of the water, really. So, um, like at all, we do boil in order to heat the water up, and that boiling process does precipitate out some of the temporary hardness. Mm-hmm. But overall, it's you can taste the minerality in the beer. Um, we've got a lot of calcium bicarbonate going on in the water, fairly high sulfate as well. We don't do too many water tests, really. We used to modify the water a little bit more. We would blend RO water into it just to kind of dial that down. I will say that at that at that time, Texas was in quite a, a pretty bad drought. The water that was coming up out of the well was incredibly hard. I mean, I remember when I first started brewing uh, Jester King, we would boil the water in the kettle and Afterwards, after we transfer out, there would just be like this crazy chalk sludge in the bottom of the kettle. Damn. Tons of it. Wow. Um, and it doesn't do that anymore. We've had plenty of water over the last two years. But the chemistry definitely changes um, as we're pulling up out of the well. So hmm. I love that. I, and it's just another thing that makes you guys different and unique. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that's certainly a challenge for a lot of, a lot mm-hmm. of brewers out there. Scott, I want some more beer. I do too. I do wonder though if you're like wanting to test your water at home. Oh, that's where I was going with that too. I was, oh, I really? Set myself up for a great. Thank you for reminding <laughs> me. I was, just, <laughs> I was just like so listening to the water thing. Mm-hmm. I forgot about the eye dip. Oh yeah, which is how you can check what's going on with your water. Maybe you know they'll someone in Jester King, and then we'll get a report back. But here's what it's going to do. It's a com- home or commercial use water testing kit, which incorporates a revolutionary. All right, Avery. Photometer or photometer? Photometer. Photometer, which is the first and only <laughs> on the market with its own app. The ID, maybe we'll email them one day and they'll tell us. I kind of like asking everyone. I, I don't know. It's much better. I'm still waiting for the one photometer. We'll talk I'm about. Still think, I still think that's the answer. We'll talk about biopic versus biopic right after this. But uh, the iDip, which is different, can perform over 40 water quality tests for things like chloride, calcium hardness, pH, sulfate, and much more. Podcast listeners, that's you, Tasty, should enter code TBN10. So that's TBN10. I've never seen Tasty checkout. shake his head more vigorously. <laughs> I never listen to these podcasts. He, he's talking. going on to his phone right now to go it's on another to com. But make sure you uh, enter that code at checkout. Save $10 on either the standard or the advanced smart brew testing kit. Order now and make this futuristic technology part of your brewing process, Tasty. Again, smartbrewkit.com. Okay, let's uh, let's get some beer. Let's get a break. We will be right back on, what are we doing? Sour Hour. That's it. (laughs) 
When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for every beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone Certification Program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerone's no beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone Program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a Certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious. Cicerones are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. Yes, sir. Cool. A little trouble there in the break. But yeah, technical difficulties. Yeah. A reboot. Tasty again, you know. Mm-hmm. Not these problems when he's not here. Yep. Spilling beer everywhere. Just kidding, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> Back with Jester King. Uh, we've got our, what, second beer open now? This oh, is yeah. the Peach Apricot Spawn. So and uh, are, are, you, are you there, Jeffrey? You all, you all with us? I am here. Excellent. Are you... Uh, dadding right now or are you drinking i am drinking actually yes uh, i didn't <laughs> want to miss out so i i went and grabbed a uh, a jolly pumpkin uh bites and bam nice nice very cool and I, I really like how you uh pay tribute i guess is the way to say it to jolly pumpkin it's been one of your your favorite beers and to give a little background on that because I, I love that hearing that those kind of stories yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I was getting into beer, I was living in Chicago at the time and, you know, I was drinking beer from Goose Island and Founders and Bells and really enjoying those. And, and then all of a sudden, uh, a buddy of mine who lived in Michigan said I needed to check out Jolly Pumpkin. So I, I went to the store and I remember buying, uh, Oro de Casabala, sorry, if we can say their name right, Oro de Calabaza and, uh, La Roja. And, um, just having it be an, an eye-opening experience just like it sounds cliche but but it's so true like i didn't know beer could taste like this and then i was just kind of hooked from there uh with like learning about like how something like this is even even made because it was just that eye-opening that's awesome the origin stories are always you know some of my favorites and you know you've talked about uh you know being addicted to to, to the bn from the beginning and uh like that too i want to mention uh someone who's also given back to be in our friends at Nishimini Creek Brewing. Is that, what do you think? Yeah. Is that right? Sounded good. Uh, Seven times the charm. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They've been on the Philly beer map scene since 2012. They're uh, sponsoring this show, just this show or the session? Uh, They're on the session as well. Okay. Well, thank you guys uh, for keeping the light on, as we say. (laughs) Three-time Philly beer scene magazine brewer of the year, 14, 15, and 16. They've been doing great things. Also, uh, getting some awards. Two-time GABF Vienna Style Lager Medal winner, 2013 gold, 2016 bronze. Can I? How, let's get some of that. Sounds good. Okay, uh, Jeremy from uh, Nishimini, send send some of that here. Also, a bronze for a smoke lager. I can get down down with that. 2016. They got a big expanded uh, renovated tap room, 24 beers on tap, 18 rotating. 
variety of beers from hoppy double IPAs to the sessionable poundable lagers to oak fermented saisons and sour beers. Uh, they have uh, free brewery tours on Saturdays. They have a new location opening in the spring, which is coming up because it's March. Yeah, that's while right. I'm talking right now. Check them out, NishaminiCreekBrewing.com. Yeah, pay them a visit and tell them that you uh, you heard it here. And tell them thanks for sponsoring the Brewery Network. That that kind of stuff goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of going a long way, on your next brew, yeah. you're really going to get serious. If you are going to do a brew, you need Brew, brew Guru. guru. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's from the AHA. Have you seen what this free app can do? Oh, yeah. Tasty? It's what can it do? messages earlier. As I walked up here, it said, you're close to the hopper need. You better get in Is, there. Oh, really? Hey. Oh, yeah. That's the brewery locator. Yeah. To tell you about the deals, you guys have Scott. You guys have no, deals. It, at it brings it up so you can get the discount here. It, you could be walking around some random town, some random place, and it'll tell you like, "Hey, you can get a it's discount." Reminding you, it, it's not only free; it's you know, it's putting you in the green. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it, yeah the, the HA is basically paying you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Effortlessly find deals and save money on beer, food, big one for me, and brewing <laughs> supplies. Uh, level up your brew IQ. It's not just for finding breweries; it's for making beer too. You'll get hand-picked articles, proven recipes, and trusted resources from the American Homebrewers Association and Zymergy Magazine. Also, like we said, use the brewery locator wherever you are. Brew Guru will lead you to good beer, just yep. like Tasty was saying. Yeah. You have to remember to get the discounts. Yeah. You don't have to be a member to use the application. There you go. But, you know, we also recommend you Everybody join listen to the, the show. AHA, should, be, should be a member of the AHA. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know what bar you were talking about, though, so I won't, I won't get into that. <laughs> get the app today. It's a good bar. Yeah, get the yeah, you can though your words. Uh, <laughs> follow the path to beer enlightenment. It's free for iPhone, iPad, and Android devices. Learn more homebrewsassociation.org. Root go root. All right, I want to get back into beer because we've got the peach apricot spawn open, and I've been you know we were just down at Jester's King, then they just came up for rape beer, then they came up again for SF Beer Week. Did we mention these guys travel quite a bit? No kidding. <laughs> um, and, and we've had so much Jester King beer, and I do not get tired of it, and I'm loving it. I thought going into today that this beer that we have open, the Spawn Peach Apricot, was was my favorite, the best I've had. And by the way, the Method Goose, I said it when you guys were there, it's just it is the closest thing I've had to traditional it's, Goose it's Lambic. Goose. I mean, it's there. It's there. So it's right on par if not better. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. But Strong I, words. These, these beers are tripping me out a little bit because I really like this one. Um, and Avery and I were talking during the break about kind of the, the differences between the two. Can you kind of get into that? Like what was your approach for the peach apricot versus the, the two uh, white grape beer? So this one was interesting. For stone fruit, we're using fresh fruit. Peaches grow extremely well in Texas. We've got some of the best peaches on the planet, in my opinion. Um, and there's like... 45 minutes down the road, we can drive down there and pick these peaches up ourselves, which is is awesome. Mm-hmm. The apricots, though, apricots don't grow well in Texas, um, so we're getting those from California. Mm-hmm. Our uh, brother in beer, his name is Bruce. I can't remember the name of the farm, but uh, we're getting our apricots from him. That's fine. So, we understand you want to keep it secret. Yeah, we can't, can't be <laughs> sharing things like this. It's only got uh, so many apricots. Exactly. Are these weird. microphones on? Yeah. <laughs> it, it's weird that they grow uh, that differently. Yeah. Apricots. I would think it would be almost the same thing. They're mm-hmm. the same family, right? I think they're different species, but they're, oh. yeah. Stone fruits. Yeah, stone fruit. Hmm. Interesting, yeah. Different. Um, yeah, I don't know enough. I'm not a farmer. You're not a water chemist. You're not I a know. farmer. What do you do, Avery? I don't you're know. Never, you're never coming on the farm hour. No, definitely not. I'm okay with that. I have brown thumbs. You don't want me growing things. Seriously. I'll just stick with the beer making. 
But yeah, so overlapping the seasons here was a little challenging. Typically June, like early June is when we're able to get these peaches. And then uh, July, we get our apricots in. So, you know, we do these primary fruit refermentations with our mixed culture barrel-aged beer. So Fentau is our peach refermentation, and then Aurelian Lure is our apricot refermentation. So we were kind of making all of these beers at the exact same time, but trying to overlap the seasons in such a way that since we're using the fresh fruit, we were able to have both of them at the same time to add to the tank before we racked beer on top. Uh, So we kind of pushed the harvest. We got late harvest peaches for this beer. Um, and the peaches were just so sweet and so juicy and so ripe. It was awesome. It was the best fruit that we've seen. Honestly, it was terrible-looking fruit. Uh, they were, like, bruised and just super juicy and gross, but um, made for some pretty awesome beer. I think that peaches are really difficult to work with in general. They're really delicate. All of those volatile esters are just, they disappear immediately um, with carbonation and time and all that. So I think this beer is great because it, the peach character is still very much there. I feel like so often you taste a beer and you're like, oh, it tastes like apricots and it's actually made with peach. I feel like peach always Mm. kind of presents as apricot. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think that you can taste both of them in this beer. Yeah. I'm pretty happy with how this one turned out too. There's a roundness, a fullness, Mm -hmm. like that fleshiness Mm -hmm. that I think when I think of peach, that's Mm -hmm. a lot of it. But then the sharp, Mm -hmm. kind of more prominent. More citric character. Tartness, yeah. Yeah. The apricot and they just kind of carry each other. Like Mm -hmm. that's the perfect balance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we make at the railroad, we make a peach apricot beard as well. And that's, you know, made in a totally different way. But uh, it's really fun to see how much the base beers and how you treat the fruit can make just you know, two totally different beers. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I think that's the fun part because a lot of sour beer brewers are making all these different brands and all these different ideas. And sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, this is our apricot sour. And now, every, you know, everyone's got the apricot sour. Now it's everyone's got the two berry sour. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're all overlap, but they're all always different. I've rarely had two beers that just seem like copycats. And that's kind of a lot of the fun of it. You know, mm-hmm. you get your, your house cultures in there for sure. Brown thumbs. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you cut that out. Oh, no. That's a good one. <laughs> brown thumbs. Great. I hate hearing myself. It's so terrible. Well, it, that, that one out of context, too, is, is, is great. I'm going I'm to save that one. Uh, so I th- are we, we're getting near show break, I, I feel. Yes, we are. But let's let's uh, end with some of the questions from the sure the mixed culture email and then we'll you just cut us off when we're ready to go sure and uh yeah just uh, once more this is uh, kevin osborne's email from uh, nearly two years ago summer 2015 when jester king was first on this show and uh, it's a bunch of mixed culture questions so there you go if you email questions in they will eventually get gotten to yeah yeah you know, we, you know we try but sometimes you just get on these tangents and hopefully you, yeah. you like both yeah exactly um and uh, kevin by the way did say at the bottom of this email that he is brewing he said i'm brewing a sort of noble king clone tonight thanks for the inspiration so that beer has i'm sure long it's since done. been brewed send it in um so kevin yeah <laughs> if there's any left or if you've brewed it again we'd love to take but uh, uh, honestly just let us know how that uh, brew went if you've done any other jester king beers or whatever you know we love follow-up emails in any case kevin's email goes on from his his first question of how uh, he wants to know how you guys feed the culture, which you answered. Yeah, let's see. Do you, what temperature is it kept at? Do you aerate it? Do you drop the trube ever? Any tips, uh, you know, for home brewers and professional brewers that want to keep a mixed culture, which you touched on, but I, why not elaborate? There's, there's really, I, I would say, like kind of four variables that we really kind of keep tabs of when we, when we brew and, and ferment with our mixed culture. 
you know, one is, is, is time, of course, you know, generally speaking, uh, the more time we give the beer, the more kind of acid development we see, um, temperature is, is huge for us. And it actually very much influences our brewing season. Like if it's really, really cold out, oddly enough, we get a lot more acid production out of our mixed culture. Uh, the yeast tends to be a little stunted, uh, by uh, cold temperature and the bacteria really kind of is more dominant, which is a little counterintuitive because you think like bacteria thriving at high temperatures, but we see the opposite. Let's see, uh, fermentation vessel uh, is, you know, oak with the microoxidation. We also tend to see a little bit more of the, the bacteria and the mixed culture uh, become dominant. And then perhaps the biggest kind of variable we play with is uh, hopping rates. You know, we're releasing a beer today. We call it a, a smoked farmhouse alt beer called Simple Means. And I could put it in front of you right now, and, and you probably would not think that it is a mixed culture fermentation uh, because it presents really clean. And that beer, you know, has a fairly large dose of hops. It's about like, you know, or I think around like 25, 30 IBU. And when we hop at that ratio or that rate, uh, we don't see much acid development, uh, at least not right away. Uh, after, you know, six months, a year in the bottle, yeah, it's going to be a sour beer. But we can kind of uh, create more like balanced or even acidity or even kind of like a, like a clean beer kind of character uh, just by really giving our, our mixed culture like a big dose of hops to deal with. It's very hop sensitive. Yeah, I think that's actually a really great example because we do ferment that beer. We lager it for a period of time. So after primary, once it's dry, we'll drop it down to like 42 degrees Fahrenheit and let it sit like that for two to three weeks. Hmm. So even though, like Jeff just mentioned, colder temperatures, we do see more acid development with the higher IBU. It seems to be uh, that acid development still doesn't happen very quickly. Hmm. That's good. Anything else from Kevin? Yeah, one final uh, question here is uh, when you do primary fermentation in barrels, do you ever rack it off the yeast and do you top off your barrels? No, we don't do any topping off of our barrels, not even during spawn season. And typically when we rack out of oak, we're racking everything. Um, and the yeast is what comes out first, you know, because we're not using kind of industry standard equipment for I mean, it's industry standard equipment, but we're not using a bulldog. Um, we're not pressurizing these barrels in order to rack out of them. We've got a positive displacement pump, which is an amazing piece of equipment. Your pyramid stacking. And pyramid stacking, yeah. So, uh, you know, we can't move the barrels around. We need something that's a little bit more flexible and kind of easy to, to work with. So we just have a PD pump, which is the only piece of equipment I would not get rid of at that brewery. Um, it's <laughs> an amazing piece of equipment. So we use the PD pump. We just rack straight out of oak with kind of a silicone hose and it works really really well awesome and cool. the thing about yeast left in the barrel obviously for spawn beer uh, we can maybe just i mean you guys have talked about it i think mm -hmm. before though i'm getting confused by talking to you guys off the air talking yeah. at the rare barrel event <laughs> and listening to the session <laughs> so i don't know what's been touched on but basically the spawn barrels are clean when yeah. you put the cool ship beer in there and but then you're also saying that there's no really there's no residual microorganisms even when you do a mixed culture beer for the mixed culture beer, um, depending – if we're racking it out and blending it, the beer tastes good for the most part. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So uh, if the beer smells good, tastes good, the barrel looks good, we'll rack straight back in okay. um, without really cleaning it. It just depends. Yeah. Maybe do two or three turns and then clean everything just so we're not getting like calcium oxalate buildup, like beer scale in the barrel, which yeah. will affect oxygenation and stuff like that. And we will see uh, much quicker acid development when we're racking back into a barrel without cleaning it. Mm -hmm. So – we don't do that for every barrel, but for some of them we do. Like maybe for this uh, new uh, smoke, uh, smoked alt beer mm -hmm. that just came out today. Maybe that was aged in barrels that 
you guys wanted to rinse a little more thoroughly, the higher hopping rate, the Yeah, that one actually primary. never saw oak. That's oh, a, just stainless. Mm-hmm, okay. Just a stainless steel ferment. Um, gotcha. Yeah, it's a good okay. beer. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm missing <laughs> out on that one. That sounds great. Um, all right. Yeah. I think it's time for a show break. I think so, too. Think? Yes, I think so, too. Let's do it. All right. Here it is. Let's see if we can get it. <laughs> Thanks, Tasty, for coming in. My pleasure. Thanks to Scott. You're welcome. Avery and Jeffrey, they're hanging on for the next show as well. But thank you, guys. Thanks to all of the listeners. Thanks to all the sponsors. Thanks to all the beers that we've drinking. One more thing to say. Stay sour. Stay sour.